Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is The Art of Awesome, episode number 30. Actually, maybe the best thing that we could be doing is making sure that we're happy every day and that we're contributing to society in some way. And what's the best way that you can do that? Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. Welcome to The Art of Awesome. My name is Nick Troutman, and I'm a professional athlete, entrepreneur, family man, and adventure seeker. My goal is to share with you stories, knowledge, and inspiration as we continue on the journey together, searching for that secret sauce to producing awesome results in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get to it. Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast. Stoked to have you guys here. And today is Monday, so we have another amazing interview for you guys. And it was an awesome interview that I had today with a great friend of mine, Phil. He is actually finishing up his PhD right now in global health and physical therapy, as well as the fact that he's done a ton of disaster relief work and has got a whole bunch of experience in disaster relief. We talk a lot about that, how he got into disaster relief work and and his thought process on that and, and kind of some of his biggest takeaways from the different experiences and scenarios that he has been in, as well as the fact that we really go deep into education and post-grad education and whether or not it's important to, you know, go into college university or whether it's more important to just kind of go out and get life experience first. And so we have a great kind of debate and, and conversation about that. And yeah, there's just tons of golden nuggets that uh, Phil drops in this episode. Uh, It was an amazing time for me to get to talk with him, and I really think you guys are going to get a lot out of this. So let's wait no longer and jump right into it. Here's Phil Shepard. Phil, thank you so very much for joining me today. It is a pleasure, as always, anytime that I get to talk with you, and just stoked to have you here on the show. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on the podcast. So I'm excited to be uh, part of it. Yeah, dude, this is this is super cool. We actually we we filmed or recorded. We didn't film. We we recorded the the episode zero, which never actually went live because the audio quality was really bad. But um, anyway, I, I was originally trying to to wrangle Phil into being my a co-host and, and hosting the show with me. So I might still have to pull you in more often and get you on the show more. Cause it's just, I'm always stoked to talk with you. And yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, That'd be fun. I, I do want to, at some point, if you have the, uh, the recording of episode zero, I want to, I want to hear it at some point, even though I'm sure the audio is pretty bad on my end. Well, no, I definitely have it. I'll share it with you for sure. But for for anybody who doesn't know my great friend, Phil, I'm going to fill you guys in a little bit. Phil has done some really incredible things. Phil, you're currently wrapping up your PhD in physical therapy. Um, You've done a whole bunch of amazing disaster relief work, um, which I think is also part of your thesis, if I'm correct. Uh, You're training for an Ironman. You've competed with me at the last World Championships in Spain. And in my mind, I consider you uh, what I would consider one of the closest real-life superhero friends that I definitely have. Uh, And yeah, it's just it's cool to be able to have you as part of the podcast. Yeah, I'm I'm stoked to be here. 
And yeah, most of that is true. I don't know about the superhero part, but uh, the feeling is mutual there because I feel like you're uh, the closest thing I have to a real life friend who's a superhero too. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm doing a, right now I'm doing a doctorate of public health with oh, okay. on uh, humanitarian crises. So like disasters and conflict zones. Yeah. So if you don't mind, kind of explain a little bit, how did you get into disaster relief, conflict relief work, any of that kind of stuff? Yeah. So it started, I, uh, so I went into physio school or in the U S would be physical therapy. And I went into that kind of thinking that I would be, that I would work for a sports team, maybe own a, like an orthopedic private practice at some point. And then over the course of my degree, I had an opportunity to go to Nepal and as a student in my second year. And one of the things that really stuck out from, for me when I was there was not necessarily what we were doing right in global health, but things that we were probably not getting, uh, that we weren't, that weren't the best in terms of sustainability and having positive change on the communities that we were going to. So from that, I ended up kind of dedicating my career and my life to global health afterwards. So after I graduated, I went to Northern British Columbia to work in some indigenous communities to develop some uh, rehab programs in these rural communities that were um, oftentimes didn't have access to healthcare or rehab of any kind, and they would have to travel. So from that, um, it was kind of always my plan to get into disaster relief and humanitarian work. But one of the things that people were always telling me was that you need a lot of experience to do it, which is, which is really true. And you need to have a really good base in terms of not only clinical skills, but how to work with communities and how to work with people in order to help build up health structures rather than just kind of like going in and, and providing some kind of care that may or may not be useful. So I did that for a while in Northern BC. And then because of the work that I was doing there, I was asked to go to India to develop a rehab program in, in Southern India and worked on that for a little while and brought some students from the University of British Columbia to teach them about global health and sustainable development and to teach them clinical skills as well as some local rehab workers. And then afterwards, I went to Nepal and did the same thing there and kind of went back to the, the hospital and the rehab center that I was working at as a student and did that for a while. And then a week after the student left, I was hiking and just taking a little bit of a break and hiking in the Annapurna range. And the earthquake in 2015 struck and it was a 7.8. So I was there during the earthquake and ended up linking up with different um, humanitarian organizations that were working within the country. Initially it was the Nepalese Red Cross and then linked up with some other organizations like uh, Humanity Inclusion, which was working in Nepal, and it kind of snowballed from there. But the thing that really helped me in that case was that I had this the background in development and had been working a lot on getting into humanitarian work. So it allowed me to kind of be helpful and useful in that situation and know that I should be linking up with these organizations that were doing things rather than just kind of like jumping in and getting in the way. Wow. Wow. That's, that's incredible, Phil. Um, so, I mean, it's almost like coincidental that you were, you know, in Nepal the same time 
as this huge earthquake. Do you feel that that had a big impact on just like the career path that it, it, you know, kind of brought you into, or were you already en route to uh, do disaster relief? I think that it's, I was already on that career path in terms of, I wanted to work in humanitarian crises and, uh, and then, and also work in global health and development. And that was a lot of the reason why I was doing kind of taking the steps that I was before. So getting a lot of experience working clinically. Uh, so building up my clinical skills, but then also working in development so that I knew how to work with communities. And this, I think initially I kind of had a hard time with that after spending time in Nepal, because I think that it, it had that perception almost that that was the thing that allowed me to work in humanitarian crises. If, and especially if people didn't know me before, then, then they might've thought like, oh, well, he was just in Nepal and that's the reason why he was able to like go down this path and work in, in disasters afterwards. But really the reality is that my path was already going down that way. And I think that I've, I've had some time to reflect on it. I think a couple of things about that now is that the first is that because of the work that I was doing, it allowed me to be effective in that situation because I know of say like other medical professionals or even like physios and that, that were in Nepal that were presented with the same type of opportunity that ended up leaving or, um, and not contributing in the way that I did. And I think that that for them in was probably the smartest choice that they could have done. And so I think that, I think it's the same with everything. Like if you're no matter what area you're working in and in no matter whatever you're working towards, life will always present opportunities. And it's a matter of if you're ready to take advantage of that opportunity and how you, how you respond to it. So to answer your question, I think that it, I was already on that path. I do think that it gave me an opportunity to get into it sooner than I probably would have um, otherwise. But um, in the end, I would have ended up doing a similar type of thing. Wow. Yeah. I think sometimes life just, I don't know, gives you opportunities and, and I feel like, I don't know, I've done a podcast in the past about, you know, the power of saying no or whatever, but at the same point, I think there's something really powerful to, to taking advantage of all the opportunities that are given to you, even if it's something as horrible as a disaster where, you know, on your path, for instance, when you're, when you're going to humanitarian work, you would never wish a disaster upon anyone but at the same time if you're there and this disaster you know is is going on around you it's it's the perfect opportunity for you to to jump in you know both feet in and just go after it yeah yeah and that's a really good good clarification because it's not um yeah i don't see it as like an opportunity or anything um, and i don't think that people should do that because i have had people that afterwards have even contacted me and said like oh hey i want to um I want to get into disaster work. Like, do you think that I should go to this area um, and just like jump in? And my immediate answer is like, no, please don't do that. Like that's what happened to me. But a lot of it was, I was able to um, 
to recognize what was happening and also be effective and work in kind of a more sustainable way because of the work that I'd already been doing and the path that I was already on. So yeah, I think that that's a, yeah, that's a really good thing to, to bring up. Is right. that, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so for anybody out there, if you want to get into disaster relief work, uh, definitely do your work beforehand instead of just going to a disaster zone. It sounds like that's, you know, the whole key takeaway there is like get educated before just diving in. And honestly, I've, I feel that's the same advice for, you know, whatever you want to do in life. I think you want to take action, but the first step is get educated. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think another thing that kind of, well, I guess kind of continues on the story about how I got into disaster work was that along the way, my, my path was kind of, although I, my path was changing, although I had like a direction that I wanted to take. So I knew, um, I knew I wanted to work in disasters and global health. And I knew like that was kind of the end goal. But then along the way, so say in, when I was working in Northern British Columbia, I realized like how important it is to work with communities to, to develop programs and really that what should be happening is that you go in and you might have an idea of what uh, you want to create or what you want to implement in that area. But once you get in and start talking to people that are actually living there and experiencing it every day, that that's going to change and you could be completely wrong about what you thought. So that was a key takeaway from Northern BC was really like working with people. And then when I was in India, I remember there was a, um, there was a, we were doing a lot of home visits and something that happened there was we saw a child who had cerebral palsy and he was nine years old. And we were the first people that like first healthcare professionals that he had ever seen. And for some reason, like I'd seen a number of children like him before, but in that situation, it kind of made me realize that this child represents one of many, which is why then I ended up wanting to get into more like public health and global health. So that kind of like led me to the degree that I'm doing now. And then even in when I was in Nepal during all of that, um, a reason why I really got into humanitarian crises in the way that I am doing now is that I realized that say people with disabilities or there are certain people within a population or within a community that are more affected than others. And that working with them one-on-one -on -one is really important, but a lot of the times that should be done by like local healthcare workers, local rehab workers, and like whether that's nurses or physios or, or um, doctors and the kind of like as an international, what I should be doing is helping to create programs that are able to help larger populations, like whether that's an entire community or an entire country or even globally, and then coming in and like supporting, supporting people in those communities to do, to create programs or to do their job in the best way possible. Whereas I think when I first went into it, I had this idea of like, Oh, like I'm going to go in and be this superhero, which is so far from what I want now. And I'm almost like almost embarrassed to say that because it's, it's like so far away from what now I see as global health and, and humanitarian work. Wow. Wow. What from all the different disaster, you know, situations that you've been in, cause you've, you've been in several now I, I, yeah. writing your thesis and stuff like that. 
Um, and w- actually, I guess, can you elaborate on, on the different places that you've been and, and the different, you know, situations that they were? Yeah. So I've been, so I was in Nepal for that initial one and that one was only around, I was probably there for like a month and a half working in the, like the immediate disaster. And that was from, um, like things from even like helping to transfer patients from helicopters into ambulances to make sure that, that we weren't causing like secondary conditions. So say like, um, like a spinal cord injury, making sure that we were doing that properly to, um, supporting rehab in hospitals in Kathmandu. And then after doing that, I went, I was back in Canada for a little while and then I was asked to go back with a different organization to develop a, like an intermediate healthcare facility or rehabilitation facility. So the idea was that I went back with this organization to start a, like a mobile or a temporary uh, rehabilitation facility or like almost like a hospital in a remote community that was most affected by the earthquake. And the reason why we did that was that people were like in Nepal, most of the healthcare is delivered in Kathmandu, but a lot of the, a lot of people live outside of Kathmandu and in these rural communities. So once they were discharged from the hospital, they had nowhere to go. So I went back with this organization to uh, basically have a rehab center where people could go after they leave a hospital to then like learn how to participate in society, like do farming or like whether they worked at a store. So we'd work with them to like rehab them and then uh, do specific activities that would get them back to whatever they needed to do in their daily life. So I've done, so that one was for, I was there for eight months and mostly living in a tent in uh, kind of at the base of the Himalayas. So that was pretty incredible. And then since then, I've been to, now most of my work is in uh, Eastern Ukraine. So the conflict there and then refugee camps in Tanzania. So that's kind of what I'm working on for my, uh, my public health degree. And then last year I was in Vanuatu, which is in the, uh, which is kind of in the middle of the Pacific, just north, northeast of um, Australia. And that one was super interesting because the island or the country is a collection of like 70 islands. So that one was mostly working on um, access to water and sanitation and mostly like even menstrual hygiene for women with disabilities. So I've had, I've been pretty fortunate because I've been able to do like a, a wide variety of different things from like hands-on immediate disaster to more like long-term development and almost like preventative type work. Wow. That's, that's quite the array of just different, you know, situations, surroundings and everything of all these different places and, and events that have taken place. What do you consider some of the biggest takeaways or, or things that you've learned from, from these experiences? The biggest takeaways I would say would be first that in any type of situation that like collaborating with people is the most important thing. And that especially when you're working, I think in, I mean, especially in global health, but whether you're working in, in any type of environment where you're um, trying to create a service or create a program that's going to um, hopefully benefit or help certain people that 
the, what you really need to be doing is asking questions and listening before you actually start doing anything. Because in that case, the, like, really what you'll get out of that is that the program will be better and it'll be stronger and it'll make more sense for that context. But if you include people from the beginning, then there's a lot more buy-in. And it's the same thing with, with anything. Like if you're, if you're working with anyone, I mean, even if it's in terms of like um, helping people to be more active, if I say even as a, as a clinician, as a physiotherapist, if I tell someone like, Oh, Hey, you need to be more active. I'm going to make this program where you're going to be running a lot, but maybe they hate running. And maybe if I talk to them, they would say like, Oh, I really don't like running, but I'm happy. Like, I really want to be active. And then I would ask them like, why, why do you want to be active? And they could come up with reasons and it'll probably be something that I wouldn't even think of. And then we would talk about the ways in which they could be more active and maybe they like love swimming or something. So it's the same thing when you're thinking about like communities or groups of people that if you include the more people you include and the, the, um, the bigger, the variety of people you include, the better and the stronger your programs will be and the more likely that they're able to succeed. So that'd be the first one. I know that was, that was pretty long. So including people, um, the second thing is that it's okay to, I think it's okay and it's good to be able to recognize, like have a path, but be willing to change your direction based on the information or the experiences that you have. So that's the second one. A third big takeaway would just be to, this is kind of like my mantra in everyday life is just to love the process. So even though like you have this idea of somewhere you want to be, whether it's like a big goal or whether that's like personally, professionally, if you're not loving the process along the way, then what's the point? Yeah, I totally agree. That's all three of those are, are definitely amazing. And, and for me, uh, the first one about listening and, and just being part of, you know, listening to the group as a collective is incredible and something that I definitely, you know, am continually trying to work on. And, and that's just like listening more, talking less. Um, and, and also, I mean, even just as a parent, like just listening to my children more, like we're actually looking at buying a, an RV for, for traveling around and stuff like that. And, and I just called the kids over and, and was like, Hey guys, what do you think about this or that? Or just like, there's so many things just as a family that we could ask, you know, and again, I'm speaking for, for myself that I could ask my kids more like about their input. But I think even beyond that, you know, just as a community, we can, we can take more input and, and have greater results by just listening more to different people. And then for your second one about just knowing that it's okay to switch directions. I mean, that's perfect because I, I've heard this quote before that um, I forget where I heard it, but it's something like, it doesn't matter how, how fast or how determined you are. If you're chasing, if you're running East looking for a sunset, you're never going to find it. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter. And, And so it's, it's just knowing that it's okay to, you know, be determined, but also be aware that like, 
it's okay to turn around. It's okay to go the other direction sometimes, even even though you're determined because maybe going the other direction is the quickest way to achieving whatever your end goal is. Um, yeah, yeah, it's true. And then just to, to love the process, I think is just you know perfect because if you're if you're not loving it, then you should probably stop, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what you do in life. I feel again, just me personally, I feel like you always want to wake up loving what you're doing because if you wake up too many days in a row not loving what you're doing, it's probably time to change. It's probably time to 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 do something different. Um yeah. and yeah, I think uh I actually got that that piece of advice from um from Steve Jobs. He does, you know, this um this speech uh, for one of the graduating universities or something like that and, and he talks about that a lot is like where, where you should love what you're doing and if you're not then it's probably time to change yeah yeah it's so true like and i think along with that like it's really important to to love the process and like learn to love the process and but at the same time like i'm not gonna pretend that a lot of the things that i've been doing have been easy like a lot of it were have been like have been pretty hard. Like, and it takes a lot of, um, a lot of hard work in the moment, but also just persistence. And I think that's one of the things that's been, um, that's even like come out when I look, when people ask me like, Oh, how did you, how did you get into global health or how did you end up working in humanitarian crises when I have some other friends that have wanted to, and, um, and that are kind of on that path, but the, it, kind of the one of the things that seems to be sticking out is that even though I'm not the best, I'm not the smartest or anything like that, I'm not the most talented. I just, I basically just never give up and I'm, I'm just a hundred percent effort. So yeah. So I, I agree with, yeah, loving the process along the way and, and learning, but also being able to kind of put your head down and just, and dig through the hard parts too. Yeah. There's as an athlete, as an entrepreneur, it really like, honestly, it was, I was talking with Tucker, my son, um, about this the other day we were going for a run and, and we were actually doing like different sprints and different things like that. But I was also just trying to give life advice to him when we were running. And, and I told him straight up, I was like, Tucker, you can achieve anything you want in life, but it's going to take hard work. And it really just goes to saying like, it really doesn't matter how much skill you have. It doesn't matter, you know, how strong, how fast, any of that stuff. It really, deter- it, it's like, how much do you want it? Are you, are you determined enough to put in that, you know, um, that day after day persistence? Do, do you want to just keep going for it? Are you willing to take the action and are you willing to learn and get better? Because, I mean, you see this all the time in athletics where there's some some kids or or whatever that are just naturally skilled and gifted in the sense that whether you're playing hockey and they're just good at, you know, stick handling, whether whether you're kayaking or whatever, and they're just good at edge control, they might be good at one thing, but it doesn't mean that they're going to be the best unless that they are just determined all out to become the best because someone else who is determined and puts in that persistence and just keeps going to work day after day after day, they will eventually, you know, beat the person who just is, is more, you know, what quotations naturally gifted. Um, but yeah, that, I totally agree that, you know, persistence and determination 
you know, will, will outperform skill any day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And I, it's funny when a, a lot of the times when, especially when I'm talking to you, I'll think about how this relates to kids. Um, and just how like so much of what we're talking about would relate to, to children. And if I think back of even in, when I was, you know, getting into sports and anything like in high school or when I was younger is that if there was one thing that I wish was drilled into me a little bit more, and maybe it was, and I just wasn't in a place to listen was that you could actually do anything if you put in the work. Cause I yeah. think in, especially in uh, say high school, like there's always, you always hear like, Oh, that person is so good at hockey or all oh, that person is just like naturally good at math. And, but I think one of the, one of the things that sticks out is that when I think I never really had that, I mean, maybe in terms of sports I did, but um, I think one of the things that helped me is that I always had to try and that's kind of just carried on into where I am now. So, which is good because as I'm sitting and writing my thesis in that, it's definitely taking a lot of persistence and, and um, yeah, and more kind of dedication over the long term. Yeah. It's, it's, it really is amazing how much you can do anything. It's, it's very simple. Anybody out there, here's, here's the answer to everything in life. You can do anything if you put in the work. It's that simple and that easy. Now, the hard part is the work. The, the, the work's the hard part. The theory is super easy. Um, and it, it's that exactly. When we, we were both in high school. We went to high school together. And, and there were definitely kids that, you know, were really smart. They, math class was super easy to them. Or gym class, they were, you know, amazing athletes. And gym class was super easy or, or whatever. But, but you don't see them, you know, or, or maybe I just haven't seen them excel in that in, into the future. And, and on, the, on the flip side, I remember going to school and having teachers. There was one teacher in particular, and I'm not going to mention any names, but that that told me like it was, it was a, a writing class. So it was, uh, I think it was called creative writing or something like that. And, and, um, don't ask me why I took that class. I guess, I don't know why I, I thought I liked writing, I guess a little bit, obviously enough to take the class, but long story short, she told me that I was a horrible writer and that I would never like, why are you even in this class? Da, 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 da. And it was like pretty mean to me now. And I'm, I'm putting this out into the world. I might not be the best writer, but I will write a book. I guaranteed I'm going to be writing a book at some point in my life, hopefully in the near future. But anyway, I, I will write a book. And I remember her telling me that, and she actually, she told the whole class, like, we've got 30 kids in this class. Maybe one of you will ever get published. And she's like, that, that might be published in a magazine, might be published, you know, in a newspaper, might be publishing their own book. Not only will I publish my own book because I'm just putting that out into the universe and, and all you people out there, the few of you anyway that are going to hold me to it, Phil's definitely one of them will hold me to it and I'm going to do this. But, but beyond that, I remember the first time I was ever published in a magazine. Now, you know, it was a kayak magazine and it was probably like a how-to article or something like that. But I remember thinking that teacher told me that I couldn't do it and I, and I would love to go back and just show her like, hey, I proved you wrong. Um, and there's so much yeah. of that in life that, that don't let people tell you, you can't do something or that you're not good at something because you can do it. You know, you might need a lot, a lot of hard work put into that, but you can do anything. 
Yeah, it's, it's so true. And I, it's funny because I was in that class, so I know <laughs> I, can, I can verify everything. Um, but it, and it, it's funny that we, or it's interesting that we went to high school together because then we can, we can talk about that too. But it's, um, yeah, it kind of reminded me of, I, I took this class in high school too called discrete math. And I remember like in high school, you could get, you got a grade and then you also got um, other, I don't know if you can call them grades, but it was like, you would get ranked on different aspects, like your effort or like how you participated in class or whatever. And I remember this class, I was so bad at it. Like I was trying so hard, like I would stay after school and I was always asking the teacher for help. And I was just so terrible at this class. Like I just couldn't get it. And I remember in the, my final mark and it was like, it was, I think it was like just a pass and it might've been like a pity pass or something. Cause I put so much effort in and then, but if you looked at all of the, the marks beside that class, they were all like, however high you could get, I think it was at a four. So I got like a four on effort, a four on like uh, participating in class and everything. And then later I, so I kind of like, kind of forgot about that class, went on to university. And then there was a, a course called biomechanics, which is all basically the, the same thing. So it's about like vectors and, and um, all like that specific type of math. And then I ended up like doing pretty well in it. And then I ended up doing a master's in biomechanics and like biomedical engineering. And I always think back to that class where it was like, I was probably the worst student, but I tried so hard and eventually it paid off. So that's a good life lesson for sure. Yeah, no, definitely hard work always pays off. But so Phil, I, I wanted to bring up just because we've been talking about high school now for a little bit. Um, again, so Phil and I, we went to high school together. We did like everything together. We were in all the same sports teams. Actually, you were on the high school hockey team. I wasn't quite good enough to be on the high school hockey team. But anyway, we did a lot of the same sports together, soccer and rugby and uh, a lot of the same classes together. We were always kayaking together and stuff like that. And after high school, we both took, you know, pretty different routes post-education uh, or post-high school education in the sense that you continued on and, you know, got a degree and then a master's and now you're, you're doing your PhD. So way more schooling. And I did the flip side where... Um, I didn't go to university or college or get any postgraduate uh, degree. What are your thoughts on the two different routes? And and yeah, where do you feel, you know, like if you were to give advice to someone young that doesn't know what they want to do, what would your advice be? School or no school? That's, ooh, I don't think it would be as clear cut as what you probably want. <laughs> okay. But I... Um... That's probably say, best. Yeah. I'll probably get myself in trouble if I, if I go one way, I don't know with who, but um, yeah, I mean, obviously I went, I went down the route of, um, of like more like going into university and like now even going into more like academia and like research and that. So in terms of both, like, I think it, it for a young person, it, it's from what I've seen is it kind of depends on, the path you want to take. And I think that in our society, especially in North America, and from what I can see like in Europe as well, is that there's just this, this expectation that when you finish high school, you go to university. 
And I don't necessarily think that's the best thing for people to be doing. Like, I think that for some people it is, some people it's not, but it, it would be, I think it's really important to have at a young age to start thinking about like, okay, well, what do I want to do? And not even in terms of like a lot of people, I know I didn't know like exactly what I wanted to do because when you think about it, like you're in terms of what you want to do is only limited by the experiences that you've been exposed to. So really like you don't even know what is out there in the world for you to do. And then all of a sudden when you finish high school, people are like, okay, well now you need to like, you need to pick a university degree. We're going to go and like train to be whatever that could be like a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. And so I think that early on, like thinking about not only like not even really thinking about like what you want to do, unless there's something that really grabs you and you're really passionate about, but thinking about like, what do you want your life to look like? What type of lifestyle do you want? What, what fires you up? Like what gets you really excited and that you could actually do for like hours on end and never get bored and kind of like go into a zone and get totally lost in what you're doing. Like, I think those are the things that we should be encouraging people to talk about and to think about before they just jump in and say like, Oh, I'm going to go to university or I'm going to go and like pick up a trade or something. So in terms of the, I think if you're, when I think about like my path in academia or in like in going to school, I think that it's changed the way that I, I think it's changed the way that I view the world and the way that I'm able to think about problems. Like I, even when I reflect on it now, like there's nothing, I mean, obviously you learn like specific skills. Like I did a, uh, most of my degrees have been in like human kinetics or kinesiology. So I learned a lot about the body and then I went into physiotherapy, which, uh, so clearly that's like geared towards a specific job and like learned a lot about rehab and medicine and all that. But I think the thing that, that has changed me the most is how I critically think about the world and how I can critically think about like solving problems. So I think if you, I know I'm getting way off of your question, but I think this is kind of the only way that I could do it justice is that if I think about the things that I have gotten out of it, that, that you could potentially, it, it would be a little bit harder to get anywhere else. So yeah, one of them would be like critically thinking about a, a problem and how to work through that to actually solve it and figure out like what the solution could be, especially like now doing research. Like when someone, when say if there's something on the news where someone has an opinion about something and someone will kind of like a friend will say like, oh, well, this person said that. Now, like I'm, a, I'm able to look at that, whatever that person said and like dissect it, look into the research to actually see if it's true. Whereas I don't think I would be able to do that or I would have had to do a lot of extra work to be able to, um, to be able to get to this point if I didn't go to university. So I think that's really good. Like thinking about the lifestyle you want, where you want to go. And if it's, I mean, obviously you need a university degree to do that. The other thing that I think that is really good about going to university or any kind of like formal education is that if you look at like the pillars of learning, so, or the stages of learning, your the first stage would be like unconscious incompetence, meaning that you don't know what you don't know. 
and this is this applies to like kayaking too or anything like any sport that you want to do so the first stage is unconscious incompetence where you don't know what you don't know the second stage is conscious incompetence meaning that you like now you realize what you don't know and then the third would be conscious competence where you then know what you know and then the fourth stage is unconscious competence where you that's where you kind of like get into that flow state and you're able to do things without even knowing that how you're doing them. So if you look at any like elite athlete, that's how they're able to do like so many different things at one time is because they're like not even, they don't even have to think about it anymore. It's just automatic. So I think one of the things that's really good about formal education or any kind of course, like whether that's university is that it brings you, it allows you to see what you don't know. And just to clarify that, like if I say, if I went to like go into a subject, I would only know to look at like a very narrow scope of it. But when you go into university or you go into like a formal um, education, then there are people telling you what you don't know. So you like, you don't really like miss anything. I mean, obviously you probably will depending on what those people are saying, but um, but I think there's less of a chance that you're going to just like get stuck in that area where you like, you think you know a lot about a subject, but you actually have no idea what you're talking about. So I think that's, that's really good. I know I'm really, really getting okay. off. <laughs> okay. So, so just to bring it back, cause I totally agree with what you're saying and everything that you're saying there, but for, for someone like me that didn't know or doesn't know, you know, the whole, the reason why it's straight up, the reason why I didn't go to school was because, you know, whoever was helping me decide what school to go to, they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And I just, I didn't know. I was like, there's all these different things that I want to do. Now, eventually I got, I got this whole idea like, oh, I want to be a professional kayaker. It's stuck in my head. And I was like, I'm going to go like all in, in that direction. But before that even, I just, I had no idea. I was like, oh, I've got, you know, 10 different things. I've got like this shiny syndrome or shiny, shiny object syndrome where it's like, oh, this looks cool. Oh, this looks cool. Oh, this looks cool. So what, what would you tell someone yeah. who just has no clue what they want to do? Should they go, you know, travel the world and get some worldly experience and then determine? Should they go to school and learn from professors and, and get like an undergrad? Like what would you, I mean, yeah, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, the I'll try to keep it short because I know the last one went like way off. But my my um my take on it would be just to explore. Like I I would say if you don't know what you want to do, like there's no real well not there's not a point, but I would say go explore, like go travel, figure out what you want to do before you want to actually go in, into like say university or whatever it is. Cuz I think the like along with what I was saying where we need to um like redefine what we actually ask people. And even now, like what we ask children or what I ask myself, like, it's not, what do you want to do? It's like, what do you, how do you want your life to look like? Um, and along with that, I think we need to redefine how we, we define success. When I look at it, like I think an old, old school view of it would be like success is like you're a doctor or a lawyer, or you like make as much money before you die. Like, but it does, that doesn't make any sense when you actually think about it. So I think if we, we could in some way help redefine that and help children see like, actually maybe the best thing that we could be doing is making sure that we're happy every day 
and that we're contributing to society in some way. And what's the best way that you can do that? And like, even like some people that might be, I want to be an amazing photographer and I want to like open people's eyes to nature and what we're doing to it. And clearly like you don't need to go to school for that. So, um, so yeah, to answer your question, I'd say like travel, explore, like try and get as many different experiences as you possibly can before jumping into that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. And, and again, just to reiterate, like, I'm not trying to say don't go to school. That's, that's definitely yeah. not. So for anybody listening, that's not what I'm trying to say. And I'm definitely also not trying to say what you have done of doing, you know, getting your undergrad, then masters and PhD. I'm, I'm not trying to say not to do that either. There's huge, you know, validity to that and, and, and going to school and all this stuff. For me, it's just all about like, get clear on what you want first and then go all in instead of just like, cause I think what happens to a lot of people out there is either society or their parents or their teachers, somebody tells them like, Oh, you need to go to school. And oh, now because everybody goes to school, you need to get your master's or you need to get a PhD or you need to do whatever it is when you, when you're, you're just, you're just doing what like someone's telling you to do. And then after all of that school and all that stuff, then you start living your life as, you know, an adult. And then you're like, this isn't what I want at all. I'm going to go in this different direction. There's so many people out there that you talk to or that I talk to that, you know, live their life, have a career in one, you know, area, and they went to school for something totally different. And you're like, why, yeah. why did you go to school for that? Why did you, and I'm not saying you like waste your money on it, but it is expensive at the same time. It's like, why not just take a little bit of time and figure out exactly what you want to do. And then on the same time, like there's definitely nothing wrong with, you know, switching directions. Maybe you, maybe you're all in to be a lawyer and then you become a lawyer and you're like, actually, this isn't what I want. I want to go, you know, I want to go do something else. Uh, and so that's totally okay too. So I'm not trying to say like you have to figure out life because I, I still don't know what I want to be when I grew up and I'm trying to avoid yeah. growing up. I think is, is, is the gist that's of it. That's the key. Yeah. Yeah live like Peter Pan. Um, but I don't know. I just, I think, okay, so let's just, I guess, move the conversation in the direction of online schooling. What what are your thoughts there? Because to me, that's also a big answer. I remember when I was young and I just told my parents like, Hey, once I figure out what I want to do, I'll go to school then because I can go to school at any age. I don't have to go to school straight out of high school. And now both between, you know, COVID happening um, but also just like the rise of online schooling. What are your thoughts on people just like pursuing different, you know, trying out different subjects and different ideas with, with online classes? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's amazing. Like, and I, and even just before like getting into that was one of the things you said is like, it's okay to change directions. And I think that like, it's so true. And like just having as many experiences as you possibly can. And there's another thing you said that, that, um, that I really wanted to highlight. So is yeah, being okay to change direction. Oh yeah. And that we're, there's no rush. Like you don't need to just jump into something just because your, your guidance counselor told you to do it, like figure out what you want and, and what things interest you. So the, yeah. So online schooling, I think a couple of things about that, like, I think it's amazing because you can, I mean, there are so many courses now that even like free online courses that you can take where you can then explore like what you want to do. So if that's going to, like you can then just pursue 
the courses that you want to take and see what interests you. And then maybe that will lead you down another path of, or further down that path where you're like, okay, I'm really interested in this. It would be worth like taking a formal course or like going to school or university, whatever it is. But you already know that you're really interested in that and that's what fires you up. So I think that's good. The other thing that's really good about online courses is that we're breaking down some of these barriers to accessing education. So if we even think about like underserved communities or low resource areas within our own countries or around the world, there's still a barrier in terms of like access to computers and internet and that, but at least there's that one extra step that's been eliminated. So I think that's really important. But yeah, I think online is amazing. And the, the other thing too, is that you can now, you can pursue kind of two things at once. So say for like, for someone who wants to be a pro athlete, they can be like, okay, I want to be a pro athlete, but I need to be going to all these competitions and, and training a lot. But I'm also interested in like learning a lot more about this one subject. So you can now like do that on the road, which is really cool. Yeah. I see it all the time, especially with younger athletes that are just like, they want to get more into their specific sport. They're traveling more usually around competitions and stuff like that. And, and they're more likely being homeschooled or just even some of them are even just like skipping, you know, jumping straight to college classes or, or whatever it is. They're, they're kind of like leveling up into the next class or next level of education. And the beauty is just with online, you can do that. You can just, you can find something that you're super interested in and just go all after it. And, and beyond even that, there's, there's, you know, the whole world of YouTube, which is all just free. Like there's so much, so much information out there right now that, yeah, I mean, they say that we live in the world of, or, you know, world of information. Um, but it's just, it's almost like you can figure out anything you, if you're, if you're, interested enough into it you can figure it out like the answers are out there yeah true like you could you can um yeah you can like learn about any subject now which is which is really good like i think it's really important i think the like there are some aspects of it that i think would be really important to to work on and like think about how um like think your way around it if you're going down that route too like if it's just like picking specific courses, then again, it would be like, how do you make sure that you're not missing anything? And that could be like following a, a curriculum or just like making sure that you're reading outside of what's immediately right in front of you or like learning about stuff. Um, yeah. And then I, and how like so the other parts, I think it's really important to be surrounded by a community of people that are like focused on what you're working on. So even if that's, if you look at like an athlete, the way that they would get better is like surround yourself with the best, best athletes that are out there. So it's the same as if you're like working on a particular subject, but the amazing thing now is like with these courses, you can also do that. Like I'm working from Canada, but most of my colleagues are around the world, but I can connect with them like online and we can chat about what's happening in the world and, and what types of solutions are out there too. Yeah. The, the internet's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's, I remember when I was young, just like hearing about the internet and all that kind of stuff. And it blew my mind then. And it still blows my mind now, but it's, it really is incredible how we can connect globally, you know, instantaneously. It's, it's amazing. So Phil, as like right now. Yeah, exactly. Just like, I mean, we're doing this, we're doing this interview. You're in Canada. I'm in, in the U S in Tennessee. And 
we're able to do this, you know, live, not live, but we're able to record it, um, yeah. over the internet and yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy technology, but yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, Phil. Okay. So just because we've been going down some deep rabbit holes here, uh, and yeah. just kind of bring us back a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So last year we competed together at the, the world championships in freestyle. Is that something you're still pursuing for the next world championships or are you moving on to this whole Ironman thing or, you know, what's next for you and what do you see your next, uh, three, one year, three year, five years. So in terms of, um, in terms of like athletics or just, just everything, that was a broad question. Okay. First let's focus on, you know, what, what are athletics looking like for you in the future? And then I can just ask, you know, in general, where do you see yourself going in one, three, five years from now? Yeah. Well, immediately. So I, in terms of like athletics and that my, what I really want to get to is I want to start doing like big adventures, like, uh, and big, crazy expeditions. So, and partly, so I'm doing training for this Ironman, which we're going to do next weekend. We're going to do a half Ironman together virtually. And part of the reason why I wanted to train for an Ironman is to get to that level of fitness where I can then bring it the next step where I can start doing like big expeditions and that. So that, that would be the first thing is, um, so doing this Ironman next week. Um, and then the, so I'm actually thinking about doing a cross Canada biking trip next year. So that would be another big one. That'd be like a few months and then linking that in with, um, um, some kind of like, um, work with NGOs or fundraising type of event. So that is maybe in the pipeline that I haven't really said yet or told anyone about. So that one, um, I think I w- I'll probably keep, like I'll obviously keep kayaking just because I, I love it and keep trying to push in everything that I do. And so I'll probably, I'll go to team trials next year and I'll be training for that. And uh, it'd be awesome to be able to go to the UK for worlds, but we'll, um, right now my focus is really on Ironman training and then planning like big expeditions. I love it. I love it. And, and as far as this, this virtual Ironman that we're doing, or sorry, virtual half Ironman, because an Ironman's a beast of, of its own. Um, but we're going to do a virtual Ironman, uh, I think next weekend. And I, this, this podcast will probably come out afterwards. Um, but anyway, for anybody out there that wants to just join our virtual uh, Ironman, go ahead and just do it on your own and send me a couple photos via like Instagram or something. I'll definitely share those out. That'd be awesome. But yeah, it's going to be, I don't know if Sufferfest is going to be the, the proper term for it, but it'll be, I, I've never done, you know, an Ironman or half Ironman or anything like that before. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes. I've been prepping for it and and training, but I haven't done all three. I haven't even done two of the events. Actually, that's not true. I've done some swimming and some biking and some swimming and some running, but I haven't, I haven't tied all three of them together yet. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. That's where, that's where the suffer happens. (laughs) He's bringing them all together. So yeah, it should be fun. But I mean, it's all about like, and I love how you're, you're sending like a call out to people to, to do it. Um, and that was part of it is just like, find something that scares you and just like do it, train and, and go for it. Yeah. I, I definitely, you know, regularly try to remind myself to find something that scares me and do it. And like 
whatever I'm the most scared of is probably means it's the thing that I need to do the most. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I like it. So Phil, yeah, so I'm going to move, move us on just because we've been, we've been talking for quite a bit and I feel like I could probably talk with you forever. Um, but I'm going to move us on to the fire round, uh, where I'm going to ask you a couple of these same questions that I ask everybody on the show. Um, do you have an inspirational quote that you live by? I have a mission and a vision that I've come up with. <coughs> so my mission is daily improvement or 1%. And then my vision is exceed expectations. And those are my own expectations. So those are the things I live by. I love it. I love it. Um, what is one valuable lesson that you have learned that you'd like to share? Along the same lines, it's all about constant daily improvement. It's crazy. how I, I've definitely heard that same theory where it's like, don't try to, you know, do drastic improvement, but, but 1%, very small 1% improvement daily equals, you know, whatever it is, 365%, like, or it's, it's, it's even more compounded than that because every day is 1% on top of whatever you built off of the day before. So it's more than even like a a 300% growth. So I, I totally agree with that and love that. And yeah, every just 1% better every day. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, I've kind of been following that for a while, but I think it's in um, Atomic Habits by James Clear. I was just looking at my bookshelf. And uh, yeah, so that would be, that would be the, like a life lesson for sure. Phil, well, just on top of that, do you have uh, a favorite book that you'd like to share with us? The Alchemist. I love that book. Ironically, ironically, that might be my most favorite book as well. Really? Yeah. I like I that. It. Yeah. I think it's, um, that's kind of the book that, that will, I, if there's any, like anything going on in my life where like, say it's a hard time or even every once in a while, I might just be like, okay, I'm at like a roadblock or a plateau. Like I'll read that book and then it kind of gets me back on track. So perfect. The Alchemist. Yep. For anybody out there who hasn't read The Alchemist, definitely go read it. It's an incredible book and it's pretty short. So it's like a quick read, but it is, I mean, it is worth its weight in gold for sure. It's super cool. Phil, you have traveled the world and you've seen so much. Um, What would you consider one of your most awesome memories or most awesome experiences? That's a great question. I have, yeah, so many. Um, Most incredible experience. Or memory? That's a really tough question. I would say, I mean, I've, yeah, if I, if I had to choose one in particular, it would be, well, I have a couple that are popping up. Well, the first person that we discharged from our rehab center was a pretty special moment because it's the, like, it was the culmination of so much work and so much effort and, and so much time. So that was pretty incredible. Uh, and that was, so that rehab center that, um, that I was working to start in Nepal. And the, the thing that I think sticks out with that is that it wasn't, it was more like it was a group celebration, like, and everyone was really proud of it. It wasn't just like one person that was, um, that went in, it was like, really, we got the community together and, 
when this person was just discharged, there was um, like, we were celebrating, there was like a big article about it in the paper. So that was, that was a good one. That's amazing. Yeah. That's super. I could go down a few more, but yeah, I'll leave it at that. No, that, that, that's super cool. And it's, yeah, just, it's always cool to see, see hard work pay off for sure. Um, got another question for you. If you could go back in time to any age, any time in your life and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? I would go back to around like high school. And I would say that you can accomplish anything if you put enough time and effort into it. I love it. I love it. It's, you know, it's funny that that isn't drilled into students more you think that like that that should be on every school wall (laughs) you know what i mean i don't know yeah that's actually i think that i mean if there's one thing that you should get out of that age and like going to school it should be that yeah like it it doesn't like if i think about what i remember from high school it's very little but if if that was drilled into me that would be like that would be a huge life lesson yeah for sure um i've got a new question here for you phil Um, and if today was your last day and everything that you have done, all the papers that you've written, all the podcasts that you've done, all your social media, your photos, everything was to disappear with you, but you were able to leave three truths or three things that you believe to be true on a piece of paper. Uh, what would those three truths be? Get better every day. Second would be to to learn and listen to others. And the third would be to make sure that you're the best version of yourself. I love it. Those are amazing. Those, Those, yeah, that'd be great advice for sure. And Phil, thank you so very much for coming on with us today. We definitely were running um, a little bit longer, but I definitely, I personally got a ton of value out of this episode. Uh, and I hope that anybody listening also did. Uh, what would be the best way for someone listening to connect with you? I'd say just on uh, like Instagram, which is uh, Phil Shepherd photo right now, or on, uh, on Twitter too. Like, um, that's Phil S Shepard. Okay. Awesome. So yeah. there you guys have it. If you guys want to reach out with Phil, hit him up on Instagram or hit him up on Twitter. And again, thank you so very much for your time, Phil. This has been an amazing, uh, interview and just always a pleasure. Anytime I get to talk with you and I feel like anytime we're together, I could talk for hours and hours. So we will definitely have to get you back on the podcast again. And there's just so many more subjects I feel like I I could go deep into with you. So I look forward to that. And thank you everyone for listening. Um, If you guys got any value out of this episode, please share it with someone who you think might also get something out of it. And if you guys haven't already, please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. It would be greatly appreciated and just help us grow our community as a whole and share our message. So I'm Nick Troutman signing off and let's all go and have an awesome day. Cheers. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.